Well, so we're talking about prayer this morning. This is our third week talking about prayer. And uh, I want to make it hugely uh, practical. There's a little bit of fancy terminology, which I hope to explain in uh, plain English so that we can understand that. And then some practices. Um, a lot of the teaching has, has been really, really helpful from a course that I did or studied. Uh, all about spiritual formation, and so I'm indebted to uh, to a vineyard pastor uh, in the States, Steve Somerville, who uh, is long-standing veteran uh, of the faith and ministering, and uh, it's been hugely helpful. So if you think this is good, all credit to him. If you think it's a bit naff, it's his fault. So let's begin by a great quote from uh, Henry Nguyen, and it says this, very few ministers will deny that prayer is important. They will not even deny that prayer is the most important dimension of their lives. But the fact is that most ministers pray very little or not at all. They realize that they should not forget to pray, that they should take time to pray, and that prayer should be a priority in their lives. But all these shoulds do not have the power to carry them over the enormous obstacle of their activism. There is always one more phone call, one more letter, one more visit, one more meeting, one more book, and one more party. Together these form an insurmountable pile of activities. The contrast between the great support for the idea of prayer and the lack of support for the practice of it is so blatantly visible. My guess is that ministers are not the only folks who are like this and feel like this. We're not the only ones guilty. Not guilty, but you, you understand the point. And uh, prayer for me uh, as a journey has been one of these things of, goodness, uh, I know we're, we're uh, of course I do it. Of course I'm meant to do it. Of course uh, I'm a minister. I get paid to do it. And so often those things and other things just get in the way. And I think many of us are left kind of baffled, feeling like, I know we're meant to pray, but how do you pray? No one's ever kind of sat down and taught me or whatever. And I, I pray a bit like this, I pray a bit like that, but is it the right way? I just don't know. And we're left feeling guilty, <laughs> like, I just don't pray enough. Or I don't pray like such and such. They seem to be really spiritual and they seem to really, and we just get ourselves all kind of knotted up. And so... What I would like to do this morning is just outline just a few things uh, and a few practices which, if you take notes, um, it would be really helpful maybe just to take some notes this morning because there could be some things that you might want to kind of take away and uh, practice. I want to begin with two fancy words, and I probably pronounced them incorrectly. That's just the way of it. Uh, but in, in so doing, it kind of outlines the broadness of prayer. So there's there's... There's many types and many different ways of praying, but most tend to fall under two categories. One is called cataphatic, and the other, other is apophatic prayer. And the reason I'm kind of doing this is simply because if you're going to read any more about prayer, you're going to come across these words, and uh, I'm going to make them simple. I hope that you understand. Cataphatic prayer is based on images, symbols, words, perceptions, and ways that we talk or think about God. God is known, experienced through creation, light, sound, colors, senses, words, and images. Listen to the words from these scriptures and you'll begin to see where we get to this understanding of who God is and therefore how we approach him in prayer. 
Here are some verses. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Another one from Matthew. Look at the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. Do you see how these are symbols? These are images. These are ways in which we begin to see the world, but the way that we begin to see him, and therefore the way that we begin to approach him in our prayer life. Anyone who has seen me, this is Jesus speaking, has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And most of us have learned to pray in this way, in this cataphatic manner. Listen to the way you pray. In your prayers, alone, at home, or be it in a corporate time with other people. And listen to the words in which you use and the way in which we approach him. This is our most likely form of praying. Lord God, would you such and such. Thank you, God, that you are. And we begin to describe who he is and then we present our request to him. The dangers, though, of this kind of way of praying, if we pray all the time, is that our human constructs, um, what we have, describe God rather than on the living God. And our images and our understandings and perceptions of God, even at their best, are woefully inadequate and fall shy of the totality of who God is. Our limited understanding, our, our humanness, can never match and can never, uh, and we're always going to fall short of God's glory and who he really is. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so, moving quickly on to apophatic prayer, is the opposite. It's praying without images, without symbols, without words, in fact. I, uh, I have used a, a, a phrase and I continue to use it. It's practicing his presence. Practicing his presence is an apophatic way of praying. The all-transcendent God is incomprehensible and wholly other. This form of prayer is also known as centering prayer, where we center ourselves. Thomas Aquinas once wrote, The ultimate in human understanding is to know that God cannot be known. We read again. The ultimate in human understanding, our understanding is to know that God cannot be, I'll put in another word, fully known. Because I think that, of course, through the person of Jesus, we get to know God, but not fully known. Our human understanding, we can never fully know who he is. In 1 Timothy, now to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so the goal in apophatic prayer is not to get anything. It's not to hear a word. It's not to express a petition or a request. It's simply to be present with him. 
Is it a question? No, no. Can we do them after? Oh, <laughs> I'll tell you later. <laughs> the goal is simply being present, just being with God in love. In this place, we let go of our thoughts. We let go of our images, our perceptions, our human understanding of who God really is. And we center around him. And the experience is not necessary to achieve anything. It's just simply to contemplate and be with him. Now, the dangers again with this, or the trap with this, is that we go for the experience. Because here's the thing, if we begin to practice this kind of way of prayer, we will encounter and we will experience the presence of God in a really powerful way. Sometimes and sometimes not so. And we can chase after those experiences. Uh, I know as I look out, there are many of us here, we have encountered God really deeply and really powerfully, many of us. And we long for, we love the experience. We love the mountaintop kind of times with him when we're in his presence and we encounter the person of the Holy Spirit. But the danger with this is that we just go after the experience all the time. To a certain degree, we're guilty of this when it comes to worship, aren't we? You know, sometimes we can stand, we can sing the songs, and there are moments, there are times when we go, oh, wow, we reflect on the worship, and we go, that was incredible this morning. Wasn't the worship amazing? And partly what we're describing isn't necessarily the way that the guitar was played or that the songs just roused something within us. It's that we encounter and we experience the presence of Jesus. And so there are some times when we sing the songs, but we don't feel anything. And we're kind of left one, oh, the worship wasn't so good or whatever. And we become connoisseurs of worship. We kind of like, oh, it was this or it was that. And we lose track and we lose sight of the fact that worship isn't about us. It's actually about him. And it's about what we do and the posture of our hearts. I was thinking and considering this morning, as we stood and sang the songs, I know for me, I am much more engaged in worship, in this corporate worship which we value so highly in Vineyard. I am much more engaged when I bring to the Lord an offering, when I bring to Him the prayers uh, and the praises and the time that I have carved out and devoted in personal relationship, just me and Him throughout the week, and I know the times when I'm, when I'm dedicated and I'm pressing into him that when I come into this corporate time of worship, I'm much more there than the times when I'm not, when I'm aloof, when I'm distracted, when the worries of this world take over from me and I begin to take my gaze and my attention and ultimately my worship elsewhere. That there are times when I come here and I'm like, let it's enough just to get through these songs. I wish Sergi would shut his mouth and let's get down. Well, we think that other times, don't we? <laughs> just joking, just joking. She does. When we come corporately in worship, we're bringing a sacrifice of praise. We're bringing our offering. We're bringing that which we have uh, carved out and dedicated one-to-one -one throughout the week. And so... Most forms of prayer will fall under those two things. And in many ways, it's a little bit like the evangelical tradition and the charismatic tradition. 
the evangelical tradition very much is scriptural based. It's the word and what God reveals and what he's taught. The symbols, the images and everything that we get come from the scriptures, don't they? And that's what we love about the vineyard. We hold on the one hand, God breathed scriptures, useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for leading us into life. And on the other hand, what we love within the vineyard church is the charismatic tradition, the experience of the Holy Spirit that he comes today and he fills us again and refreshes us today and he empowers us and he sets us free. And both these forms of prayer in many ways are similar to uh, the ways of prayer. Here are some practices, taking some notes if this is helpful. Fixed hour prayer. Fixed hour prayer has its origins in Judaism and was practiced by the early church and has become foundational in monastic communities and uh, still has its place in Christian church. Fixed hour prayer is a regular, consistent time within the day to pray. And I've got some fancy words, but I'm not going to use them. There are prayers at three o'clock in the morning called night prayers. Who fancies setting their alarm clock for three o'clock this morning? Send me a text message if you like. Phone's downstairs, I'll not get it. (laughs) Waking up prayer, the beginning of the day. Prayers for beginning work. Noonday prayer of commitment. Mid-afternoon prayer. And as the day is over and evening comes, an evening prayer of stillness. And when the day is complete and sleep begins, a going to sleep prayer of trust. The benefits of this form of prayer is that it interjects prayer times into our everyday routine of life. It interrupts our daily routine and calls us to remember and come close and draw near to God. And it just practices this rhythm of constant relationship with God throughout the day. Now, the reality is we are not going to be able to do that. Neither do many of us want to do that. But it is still possible to practice fixed hour prayer throughout our day through various breaks, through various things. And here are just a few ideas. We can pray at mealtimes. It can be just a very simple prayer, whether you're on your own or whether you're together as a family. We just join together and give thanks and we acknowledge God in that moment. We can pray when we're uh, traveling to and from work, whether you're walking, whether you're cycling, uh, driving the car, be very careful, uh, or you, you catch the train, or you're on a plane, wherever it is, however you're getting there, that is time that you have which you can focus on God. Did I tell you my story about cycling and praying? Did I ever tell you that one? Yes or no? No, I didn't. Okay, so I'm a new believer. I'm 16 years of age, and I'm praying, and I'm thinking that to pray, you're supposed to close your eyes because that's what you do, right? And uh, I was praying whilst riding my bike. And I thought, that's really daft to kind of ride a bike and close your eyes. So the next best thing I thought of, well, if I kind of have my head bowed, well, then that's, that's closer. That's, uh, I think that's acceptable to God. And so I'm riding my bike, and I'm praying, and my head's down, but it's not up. And I ride into the back of a parked car. And I surf up the back of it, and I don't think I damaged it 
too badly, but I really hurt my leg that day. Anyway, uh, before you go to work, take a minute. I'd like to say I do this every morning. I don't. But there are some mornings I come down to the office, go in, and I sit, and I sit quietly, and sometimes I don't speak a word. I'm practicing apophatic prayer, just stilling myself, centering myself. Sometimes I'll just simply say, Lord, this is the day ahead. Help me, and I begin to put out my petitions, whatever it might be. Could be in mid-morning break, take two minutes, sit in quiet, offer to him what's happened and what's coming up. Read a psalm, read the Lord's Prayer. At lunchtime, it's the same. Walking, uh, waiting to collect the children. Those of us who are parents, you drive to the school gates or whatever it might be, you get there 10 minutes early, you've 10 minutes to spare. You can choose to spend some time doing that. Could be waiting for a lift, it could be a doctor's appointment. Uh, waiting for, for your appointment there. could be waiting for food to arrive. It could be when you go walking the dog, when you're on the loo, in the shower, in the bath, lying in bed in the morning or at night time. There are many moments throughout every single day when we can choose to center ourselves, come before the Lord, maybe read something, whatever it might be, throughout the day and every day. There are moments that we can practice that. Think of another habit, which I'm pretty confident that 90-something percent of us are very good at doing every single day. We manage to practice this every single day. And we pay homage to the third limb that many of us carry around with us. It's our mobile phones. We are very good at practicing fixed hour devotion to our phones, aren't we? So all those moments, all those ideas that I just suggested, most of the time, if we're really honest, our phones are our go-to thing. Who gets, if you have an Apple what, uh, phone, who gets the weekly report that kind of pings up? Anyone else? I, I get it on Sunday mornings. Do, does everyone get it on Sunday mornings? Yeah, okay. So I got mine this morning. This is confession time. It's going to make you feel really good or it's going to make you feel really bad. But I was utterly stunned this morning when my daily report came through. I had used, this is screen time, I had used my phone 22% less this week than the previous week. Now that's fantastic. I mean, I'm really, I pat on the back for that, you know. But, I was astounded this first time I've actually looked at it. The average time per day on screen time on my phone was one hour 51 minutes. I couldn't believe that. My goodness, what am I doing? There's only so much Strava I can look at. Strava's like for running geeks. It's my only form of social media, by the way. There's only so much panda pop I can play. I even took my email off my phone so that I don't get checking me emails. One hour, 51 minutes. I wonder how much time I spent praying every day, average. The same for all of us, isn't that right? Where are we at? 
where I need to speed up slightly. Breath prayers. Breath praying is simply um, speaking short prayers throughout the day. The best or most well-known breath prayer is sometimes known as the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. It's been adapted with a few other phrases. You might have heard of it. I remember in my Anglican days uh, back home, we would have prayed, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Breath prayers are intended to help pray as natural as it is to breathing, that it's something that we repeat and that we practice through the day. Not that it becomes repetitive kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? ritualistic but actually heartfelt and meant here are just a few some of them are made up some of them are uh, based purely scripturally lord jesus teach me to abide in you more of you lord less of me lord jesus thank you for your love lord jesus help me to receive your love lord jesus you are my life lord jesus nothing can separate me from your love can you Begin to imagine praying this, just short phrases throughout the day, centering ourselves, remembering him, remembering who we are in him. Your will be done. The Lord is for me, so I will not be afraid. Lord Jesus, you are always with me. Pray in that prayer when you're going into a situation where you feel alone. Lord, you're with me. Be with me. Jesus, help me to receive your grace. Ground me in your love. Be at home in my heart. Increase my desire for you. And here are the two I've been praying recently, nearly on a daily basis. Your perfect love drives out fear. I will trust you. I will trust you. I cannot tell you how many times I prayed that single prayer yesterday. Lord, I will trust you. These things that are coming up, I will trust you. I trust you, Lord. And we begin to make that a practice and we begin to mean it. It begins to do something in us. It begins to posture our hearts towards him. We begin to surrender our lives to him just through very simple prayers. We can all do this. This is all attainable and achievable stuff for us. The prayer of examine. Prayer of examine um, is the prayer of examination. And it's a way of assessing one's life on a daily basis, on a regular basis. Usually at night time is a good time to pray the prayer of examine. Uh, some of you, if you're well read or you've some... Uh, historical background, you'll have heard of a guy called Ignatius of Lo Loyola. Ah, there you go, thank you. Who wrote uh, uh, a set of uh, readings uh, called the Spiritual Exercises. And this was a, a prayer uh, very much highlighted and developed by him. And it's basically asking these questions as we begin to examine our day on a daily basis. We take stock and we review the day. Where was God in that situation? How was God leading me throughout the day? Some of us do this at mealtime. We used to do that. We were much better at doing this. We need to do this more, dear, I'm just saying. We would do this uh, uh, with a family. 
uh, family when we, when we eat together. We'd, we'd ask the kids the questions, you know, what was, what was the best part of today? What, what made you feel sad today? And we would just go around and kind of share those things. I'm making us sound like we're the Waltons, by the way. <laughs> you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't absolutely fantastic. <laughs> no, true. But, uh, but it's our attempt of trying to gather us together. But this is the practice that we can do alone. We review the day. And the idea uh, is twofold. According to Richard Foster, you'll know him um, from Celebration of Discipline. Uh, he's written a brilliant book on prayer, and he wrote this about the prayer of examine. It has two aspects, like two sides of a door. The first is to examine the consciousness through which we discover how God has been present throughout the day and how we've responded to his loving presence. And then secondly, it's uh, to examine the conscious in which we uncover those areas that need cleansing, purified, and healing. So it's saying, where were you, God, in my day? And how did I respond to your leading? Thank you for that. Or I missed that opportunity today. I, I bottled it because of fear. Or I didn't respond well when my kids came to me and they did this. I, I'm sorry for that. And we begin to repent. And we begin to acknowledge things. But we're wholly giving of ourselves to him. What moment of today was I most grateful or least grateful? What was the high point or the low point? What was today that was most life-giving or most life-draining? Where did I sense connection with God or disconnect with God? When was I happiest or when was I most sad? And these are just moments when we get to center ourselves around God. I've got five minutes. I, I haven't prepared this, but someone emailed, would you like me to take three minutes talking about praying in tongues or we leave that for another day? Will I? Okay, I'll go for it really quickly. I'm in slight danger because I haven't prepared anything, so a lot of this is just straight off the top of my head. So if you want clarification, great. Uh, praying in tongues is just a great opportunity to pray and connect with Jesus without using our words and our intellect. It is a spiritual gift. You can read about it, especially in 1 Corinthians 12 and in particular 1 Corinthians 14. And uh, the way that I see it, the way that I understand it scripturally, the way that I've practiced and seen it practiced best are twofold. There is uh, the gift of tongues which is given in the corporate setting like this, where a tongue is offered and then in amongst the people we pray for the interpretation of the tongue. So God is speaking through the tongue for the body, and then there's uh, an interpretation of the tongue. What I'm now talking about is about a personal prayer language that the Lord gives us, which allows us to pray in words that are incomprehensible to ourselves and to other people who are listening, unless we are speaking a foreign language, which is known by someone else. And it is a way of praying when we don't know what to pray. And it's a way where we can um, uh, nearly bypass our mind and allow our spirit to connect with his spirit. And so this morning I'm lying in bed and I'm praying 
And uh, I, I just begin just praying in tongues. And I'm just praying. Some people say in the spirit. We wouldn't really use that kind of language. But it's just an, an opportunity to connect with the person of God through the Holy Spirit with our spirit. And it's a wonderful gift. And I know many of us practice it. And I know there's lots of confusion around it and sometimes a bit of mysticism and a little bit of skepticism. Is that the right word? No, I'm doing all right with words today. Um, so, uh, you know, if you don't pray in tongues but you think you'd like to, uh, you can do that. You, it's not, you know, you're some oh, flip there, top quality Christian. They can do the tongues thing. It's not like that. It's like everyone can do that. If you're a Christian, you can do that. And uh, if you'd like to speak in tongues and you're just not sure how to get started, well, in about two minutes' time, you can come forwards and have a wee chat and we can pray and you can begin that just this morning. There you go. That's good, isn't it? Isn't he good? Isn't he good that he invites us to have relationship with him, that we talk and that we listen, and that he listens and he talks? Because that's what prayer is all about. There's some really helpful ways of praying this morning. I wonder which one God is speaking to you about. And what one or two that you can go away and actually practice. Because by doing it, it's going to lead you closer to him. And form you and allow you to become more like him.